You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Acts chapter 21, we're beginning that chapter today and we're going to read together verses 1 through 16 of Acts 21. Paul is on the move again, and so we're going to track him and find out where he's going and why he's going there, Acts chapter 21. Follow along as I read the first 16 verses. When we had parted from them and had set sail... We ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And when our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. After these days we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking taking us to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. Then in verse 17, Paul records that they arrived in Jerusalem And the brethren received us gladly. Now all eyes up here. Apart from Jerusalem, there are ten place names mentioned in those verses that we just looked at. Either provinces or cities. Now without looking at your Bible and without looking at your notes and without looking at the map on the back, can you name five of them? Probably not. You know why? Not including Jerusalem. Because the minute I started to read about Kos and Patara and Ptolemus and Cyprus, your eyes glazed over and your mind exited the building and you started to think about what am I going to have for lunch? Where are we going to go for lunch? I wonder who has the cheapest Mother's Day buffet. If I had given to you a travel itinerary that included the cities of Coeur d'Alene and Spokane and Ritzville and Moses Lake and Seattle and Portland and Richland, you would have been right with me because you have been through or to most of those cities and you can easily find them on a map. 
And the minute I mention those place names, you have images and ideas and memories and people that start to sort of pop into your mind. And you're engaged with that kind of travel itinerary. But as I read to you about Kos and Patara and Ptolemus and Caesarea and Tyre, it's none of that for you, is it? I doubt if any, many, if any, seated here this morning, have ever been to any of those cities. And most of us here would have a hard time finding them on a map. To you and I, they're just dots on a map. But they weren't dots on a map to Paul and to Luke. Do you know what they represented to Paul and Luke? They represented some of the last cities that Paul would ever visit as a free man. Because every night, every port of call, every stop, every city, every gathering brings him one step closer to certain suffering. That's what these cities represent to Paul. Now, I think this is incredibly interesting. You read the travel itinerary, you don't think it's very interesting, do you? I think it's interesting. You say, what, the city names and how long they stayed there? Well, it's really more the details between the stops that is of interest to us, and that's what we're going to focus on. These 16 verses that I just read to you, really, those verses center around two cities. It's the tale of two cities, Tyre and Caesarea. Everything else is about how Paul got to Tyre, and then there's something that happens in Tyre, a main event, and then there is his journey to Caesarea, and then there is something that happens in Caesarea, and then he is on to Jerusalem. So think of it in terms of two cities and two main events. Our tendency is to read the verses and allow our eyes to just sort of glance over them and we skip down. What we want to get to is the good stuff. We want to get to the part where Paul is in Jerusalem and he's talking with the apostles and he's in the temple and he gets arrested. And I hate to spoil the ending for you, but yes, the apostle Paul does get arrested. Just in case you were waiting for the cliffhanger, there's no cliffhanger, he gets arrested. We want to get to that part. We want to get past all of the names and the places and the people, but Luke doesn't want us to do that. We need to take time with some of these details. These 16 verses, two cities, two main events, The events are similar in this. At both times, the Apostle Paul is warned of what he faces when he gets to Jerusalem. There's no doubt in anybody's mind where he's going. He knows where he's going. Everybody else knows where he's going. The believers in every city knows where he's going. The question is, what's going to happen to Paul when he gets there? And so there are these two warnings, one in Tyre and one in Caesarea. Now, I know in the back of your mind, there is this little revolving door. Okay, And the, the events of your week and all of the fast things that happen and as the weeks go by, that revolving door tends to spin. And things that I put into your gray matter four, five, six, eight, nine, ten weeks ago tend to escape by the time we need to we need them again. And we stopped in Acts chapter 20 for a period of time and we looked at that address that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders. And I know that while we were sort of idling in Acts 20 in Miletus with those Ephesian elders looking at that text, that there are a lot of details that just spun right through that revolving door out of your gray matter. So what I want to do this morning as we begin chapter 21 is I want to take some of those details and I want to put them back at the front of your mind because as we get on board ship with Paul in verse 1 of chapter 21, I want there to be certain things that are right up here in your mind so you can see what the Apostle Paul saw, remember what the Apostle Paul remembered, feel what the Apostle Paul felt, Some of those events include this, include these. That was poor grammar, wasn't it? Some of those events include these. 
First of all, the Apostle Paul has just traveled through Macedonia and Achaia. Remember, he visited the churches in Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi, on down into Corinth. And why was he going to Corinth? You remember he was going to Corinth because of that whole catastrophe that had happened in the church with the false teachers and them questioning his authority and the mix-up with spiritual gifts and everything that was happening in the church at Corinth. So Paul arrives in Corinth to deal with all of that. And as he's been traveling through Macedonia and Achaia, you remember he's been collecting an offering. He's been collecting an offering from the churches there to give back to the church that is in Jerusalem to the needy saints there. So he is traveling with a large sum of money. He is on his way to Jerusalem, and Paul has already wrote to the Roman Christians in Rome, and he has said to them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to drop off the money, and when I'm done there, Lord willing, I'm on my way to visit you in Rome, and then from there, I'm going to Spain. And the year is about 58 A.D., Paul spent three months in Corinth, and he leaves in the spring from Corinth. Not as he would have wanted to. He wanted to get back to Jerusalem in time for Passover, but there was a plot on his life in in Corinth, and instead of getting on board the ship with a bunch of people who wanted to kill him and throw him overboard, Paul had to take the land route. So a little bit of a delay, and now he's hoping to be back. Since he can't make it for Passover, he's hoping to be back in time for Pentecost. He stops in Miletus. There he calls the elders, and he has that meeting with them. He hands over the shepherding responsibilities to them, and now Paul presses on from there. Now, is he alone? You know, he's got Luke with him, right? You can always bet on Timothy being with him. So Luke, Timothy, and Paul, were there others? Do you remember there are seven other men with them that Luke lists in Acts chapter 20, and I want you to just read these names because they become significant next week. And I want you to remember who's with Paul. Acts chapter 20, verse 4. He was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. That's seven. Then you have Paul and you have Luke. So there are nine men who are traveling with the Apostle Paul. There are nine men who are leaving with Paul from the shores of Miletus. Now, before we get to chapter 21, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, I want you to notice the exacting detail that Luke is going to be using. This almost gets, uh, we almost could get weighed down in the details because from this point forward, Luke is so detailed, he paints this vivid picture. I mean, he tells us what direction the wind is blowing and how many days it took him to go from A to B. And who was with them? And who said this? And how long they stayed here? And it's almost like we're reading Luke's private diary as he takes note of, well, we sailed from here and the wind blew this hard until we got to here and then it was not and the, the water was... We get, we get fathomings of how deep the water is on parts of their joy, uh, voyage. That's the type of detail that Luke gives us. Let me illustrate to you the detail that Luke gives us. Do you remember the first time that Luke focused in on the Apostle Paul? What chapter was that? you remember? Not chapter 9 when Paul got saved. He went back to Peter for a bit after that. When did Luke just change focus from Peter in Jerusalem to Paul and Barnabas? Do you remember what chapter it was? It was chapter 13. When the Spirit of God said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. From that point forward, chapter 13 to the end of the book is all about Paul. So how many chapters have we covered since we started in chapter 13 with Paul? Eight chapters. Thankfully, you don't have to do the math. Eight chapters. We're between chapter 20 and 21. How many chapters do we have left? Eight chapters. So roughly speaking, we've reached the halfway point. Now listen to this. In the first eight chapters, Luke covers three missionary journeys, round trip, 
and a period of time about 10 years. In the last eight chapters, Luke covers one one-way trip from Jerusalem to Rome in a little over two years' time. See that? Three journeys versus one journey, ten years versus two years. Friends, when we get to the beginning of Acts chapter 22, everything comes to a screeching halt. Because when Paul gets arrested, Luke gives us all of the details about what the accusations were, who was accusing him, why they were accusing him, how Paul defended himself, to whom did he defend himself, who was the Roman emperor that heard this and listened to this, who were all of the authorities who were present, what was the situation, where was it at. This reads like a courtroom drama from Acts chapter 21 to the end of the book of Acts. And it's all about one journey, Paul from Jerusalem to Rome. Second thing I want you to notice is that beginning in chapter 19, and I didn't point this out back then, but I'm pointing it out now, Beginning in chapter 19, the mood of the book of Acts has changed. And I want you to notice something. I want you to flip back to Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Beginning in Acts 19, 21, the tone, the mood, takes a radical shift. Now, after these things, they're in Ephesus. Paul has had a successful ministry there. He's preparing to leave. After these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying... After I have been there, I must also see what? Rome. First mention of Rome. But I want you to notice, folks, from this point forward, everything takes a radical turn. Suddenly, the focus for Paul, the focus for Luke, is on the city of Rome. That becomes the target. That becomes the aim. And the book of Acts from this point forward is all about how Paul got to Rome. And listen, he has to stop in Jerusalem first. And as he gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, Luke is like a good narrative author, a good novel writer. He paints for us a scene and you can feel the the undercurrents of this tone changing and this mood changing. I want you to notice in chapter 20, verse 23. Let your eyes look at that. Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen when I get to Jerusalem except I know that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city saying that what? Bonds and afflictions await me. Verse 25. I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Down in chapter 20, verse 38, they were weeping especially over what he had said that they will no longer see his face. See what Luke's doing? The closer Paul gets to Jerusalem, the darker it's get. It's like, it's like storm clouds have started to move in over Paul and over to, over Jerusalem. And the closer he gets, the darker it gets and the more uncertain things get. The closer he gets, the more his traveling companions begin to kind of get butterflies in their stomachs. They can see what's coming. They know what's coming. In every city that they have gone to, the Apostle Paul says, the Spirit of God reveals to me that bonds and afflictions await me in Jerusalem. And then they get even closer to Jerusalem and they land in the city of Tyre and the believers through the Spirit of God are prophesying about what is going to happen to Paul when he gets to Jerusalem. And they are begging him, don't go to Jerusalem. And then they leave there and they go to Caesarea. And while they're there, Agabus comes down and he does this dramatic demonstration of tying his hands and his feet. And he says, so the Jews are going to bind the man who owns this belt. That's Paul. And then his traveling companions come undone. And they, along with all of the residents, begin weeping and begging him, don't go to Jerusalem. The closer he gets, the darker it gets as the storm kind of moves in. So now, with the dark clouds hanging over the Apostle Paul, let's join him in chapter 21, verse 1. 
And we're just going to look at verses 1 through 6 this morning. There's so much in these these verses, 1 through 16. It's, it's too much to take on one Sunday, especially when you want to get out of here in time to be the first in line at the buffet. So we're just going to take what is in verses 1 through 6 because there's a lot of details. And listen, there's some real interesting questions that come up, like this, for instance. If the Apostle Paul is warned about what's going to happen in Jerusalem and he presses on and he goes to Jerusalem anyway, is he disobeying the leading of the Spirit? Is he going against the will of God since the Spirit of God has told him what's going to happen to there and the beggars are believing him not to go? Is Paul being obstinate? Is he being disobedient? Why doesn't he listen to the Spirit of God and the multitude of many counselors and stay out of Jerusalem? Good question. What role did prophetesses have in the early church? What's with this Agabus tying up his hands and his feet? What's all that about? All these questions come up. We're going to have to deal with them sort of as we get to them. But look at verse 1 of chapter 21. When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, and having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and we set sail. And when we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Now on the back of your bulletin insert, there is a map. And anytime the Apostle Paul is moving, I'm going to include this on the back of your bulletin insert. So you want to take a look at that, and if you notice that, that large pink area sort of in the middle of the page that is labeled Asia, if you go to the south end of that, you'll notice the city of Ephesus is there that Paul visited on the first trip. And then you'll notice that just south of Ephesus is Miletus. And that's where Paul's leaving from. So as I read the text and describe what's going on, you can kind of follow along on that map. Luke says that they left, they parted from Miletus. And when Luke says, when we had parted, he uses an interesting Greek term. And the Greek term for parted means to tear something. To tear something away. In fact, that's literally how the NIV translated it. When we had torn ourselves away from the disciples, we set sail. Luke reminds us of this emotionally charged scene on the beach when all of the disciples are weeping and embracing and kissing Paul. And Luke says, we literally had to tear ourselves away from the disciples. They wanted him to stay. They didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem because they knew that when he got to Jerusalem, it was certain suffering. And they loved him enough that they didn't want to see that happen to Paul. And so they're clinging on to him, keeping him from going, holding on to him. Can we have a cup of coffee? Anything, something. Just don't go. Luke says we literally had to tear ourselves away from the disciples. And having done that, they set a straight course and they ran a straight course to Kos. What Luke is telling us is they had a wind that was blowing from the north and it was blowing them straight down to Kos. In the spring of the year in the Mediterranean, the winds blow from the north to the south during the day. So the first day they travel from Miletus. They run a straight course, Luke says, to Kos. And the next day to Rhodes. They stayed the night at Kos, and here's why. During the daytime in the Aegean Sea, in the spring, the winds blow from the north to the south. And about the middle of the afternoon, they start to calm down a little bit, and by sunset, it's dead calm. After the sun sets, a south wind, wind from the south. Now, I'm always confused if northerly means from the north or toward the north, but a wind from the south breeze blows overnight and then early in the morning the next morning the wind comes back from the north again so what you're seeing the apostle paul and his traveling companions doing is traveling from port to port and they're staying in port overnight and they're working their way down to jerusalem so they arrive at cost the next day they sail to Rhodes, and from there to patara and look at verse two interesting detail 
And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. What does that tell you? They changed boats. They changed ships at Patara. They found a ship that was going from Patara straight across to Phoenicia, straight shot right to Tyre. That's where Paul wanted to go. Now, he could have stayed on that smaller ship and he could have hop skipped along the beach all the way around until he got down to Tyre. That could have taken days or weeks, but does Paul have time for that? He wants to be in Jerusalem for what? Pentecost, if possible, Acts chapter 20, verse 6 says. So they look around and they find a ship that is taking it straight across. Now, the larger vessels would not go port to port. They would just sail straight across the Mediterranean. A ship probably like the one that Paul went to Rome on from Jerusalem. Um, Acts chapter 27, I think is verse 37, says that that ship was carrying 276 people plus cargo. So that's the type of ship that went trans-Mediterranean straight across. A big ship. They get on board, they find a bigger ship. That would have taken them about five days, and then they arrive in Tyre, and Luke says they looked up the disciples when they got to Tyre. And then having spent seven days there while they're waiting for the ship to unload its cargo, they spend that time with the believers, and that is when the believers, it says in verse 4, they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. That's where all the questions come in. And we're going to get back to that, but I want you to notice the details in the rest of the story. Look at verse 5. When our days there were ended, we left and we started on our journey, and while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another, and then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. Now, what do you notice about Paul's parting from the saints in Tyre? Another emotional parting, isn't it? This time, it wasn't just the elders. It was the elders and their wives and their children. It was the church family, the entire church family, wives, children. And they didn't just say, okay, Paul, see you later. The whole family went down to the beach. I mean, there's a large gathering that comes down to the beach that Paul prays with. All of them, with their wives and their children, arrived down at the beach to say goodbye to them. Now, here's what I think is significant. Listen, we have no record that the Apostle Paul ever visited the city of Tyre. Certainly not as a missionary and certainly not as an apostle. So we have no idea. Likely, Paul did not know who the believers were or where they were and had never met most of them before, which is why Luke says they had to look up the disciples. They had to search and find the disciples, and they found them, and then Paul spent seven days with the saints in Tyre. Never been there before. They only had a week with this man, just seven days. But Paul has a connection with the church in the city of Tyre, and you know what it is? The church in the city of Tyre was started when a bunch of Christians came from Jerusalem to Tyre fleeing a persecution that was spearheaded by a rabid antichrist rabbi named Saul. See, Paul was responsible for planting churches even before he became an apostle. He persecuted the church in Jerusalem and the believers fled. Some of them went to Phoenicia and started the churches in all those areas. And Philip was, uh, Philip was in Phoenicia as well and had started the church in Caesarea. So here was a man that 25 years earlier was really the reason their church got started because he was persecuting the believers in Jerusalem. And now they welcome him into their fellowship. Boy, what the grace of God can do to somebody. They welcome him into their fellowship. And in only a week's time, they grow to love this man so much that they can hardly see stand to see him part. And when he leaves, they go down to the ship and they're with him there. They pray together and then Paul leaves and they go home. Now back to verse 4. Friends, what are, what are you and I to make 
of the Apostle Paul arriving in a city and having believers who have been given the spiritual gift of prophecy, which whose function we'll look at a little bit more next week, the gift of prophecy functioned much like a pastor or teacher in that their responsibility was one of exhortation and teaching and taking revelation that had already been given and giving that back to the believers. But they also, in the New Testament era, had somewhat of a, of a revelatory function in the local church. So here you have these believers who had this capacity as the Spirit enabled them and gifted them to be prophets in the church. And when the Apostle Paul shows up, they, through the Spirit, begin to describe what is going to happen in Jerusalem when the Apostle Paul gets there. And then they begin to beg him, please, don't set foot in Jerusalem. And then Luke says, so we continued on our journey. <laughs> you continued, we just continued on our journey. And here's the question, is Paul being disobedient to the leading of the Spirit? Was it not the Spirit of God who spoke through these believers describing what Paul was about to face? Was it not the Spirit who was testifying to Paul in every city saying, bonds and afflictions await you, Paul? And so if he presses on and he continues on to Jerusalem, even though he was warned by the Spirit of God, is he not going against the counsel of many? Is he not going against sound wisdom? Is he not violating the clear leading of the Spirit since the Spirit of God had raised up these prophets to warn him of what was to come? What are we to make of this? Are we to pity Paul because of his obstinate disobedience or are we to admire him because of his fearless determination? Which is it? Do we pity him because of his disobedience or do we admire him because of his fearless determination? Well, let's just think our way through this pickle for a second. It's not really as difficult as it might seem when you take it in the context of everything we see about Paul in the book of Acts, especially this trip to Jerusalem. So here we go. First, you and I should uh, sort of remember that if, if anybody was led by the apostle... Uh, sorry, start again. If anybody was led by the Spirit of God, if there was any man who was sensitive to the leadings of the Spirit, I would have to assume it would be the apostle Paul, wouldn't you? Now, that's not saying it's impossible for him to sin. It's just saying that I have to give the man the benefit of the doubt that if, this, if he knew that the Spirit of God did not want him in Jerusalem, he didn't have to hear that more than once. If there was any man that the Spirit of God could say, stop, and he would stop without taking another step, it was Paul. So he was a man who was led by the Spirit of God, so I give him that benefit of the doubt. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul himself believed it was the will of the Spirit of God for him to be in Jerusalem. How do I know that? Because Acts chapter 19 says he purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Luke is vague whether it means Paul's Spirit or the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, 2, 3, somewhere in there, the Apostle Paul says he is bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul believed that it was will, God's will, it was to finish his course, it was to finish his ministry for him to go to Jerusalem. He believed it was the will of the Spirit. And look, nowhere in Acts and nowhere does Luke intimate to us that the Apostle Paul was sinning in going to Jerusalem. Paul never says he sinned in going to Jerusalem. Luke never says he sinned in going to Jerusalem. In fact, Luke seems to indicate that he believed it was the will of God for the Apostle Paul to go to Jerusalem. So he was being led by the Spirit. Paul believed it was the will of God to go to Jerusalem. Paul was sensitive to that leading. The Apostle Paul believed he was doing the right thing. And yet we have the Spirit of God speaking through these believers, first in Tyre and then in Caesarea through Agabus, warning Paul about what is to come. So how do we reconcile this? 
What is the will of the Spirit? Well, if it's the will of the Spirit for Paul to go to Jerusalem, which Paul says that it is in Acts 19 and Acts 20, and now the Spirit of God has changed his mind, how does that work? He decided now that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem? Listen, friends, all of these difficulties just melt away if you and I remember this one thing. There is a difference between prediction and prohibition. There is a difference between prediction and prohibition. What we see in Acts chapter 21 is the Spirit of God predicting what is going to happen to the Apostle Paul, not prohibiting Paul from going. All the Spirit of God had to do was say, stop, and he would have stopped. Instead, the Spirit of God is warning the Apostle Paul, here's what's going to happen when you get to Jerusalem. Now, it's not as clear in verse 4 because the lack of detail, and every Bible translation translates it the same way, the lack of detail that, that Luke doesn't give us there, it just says that they, the believers, kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. It seems to intimate that it was the message of the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. But the through the Spirit likely is a reference to the prophecies that were given. It was the Spirit of God who was speaking through these believers, telling Paul what was going on. And these believers were listening to what was being said by the Spirit through these prophets, and they were begging Paul not to go. That makes sense with all of the context. Agabus didn't say, Paul, don't go. He didn't prohibit Paul. Agabus just tied his hands and feet and said, here's what's going to happen when you get to Jerusalem. This wasn't a prohibition, it was a prediction. Paul nowhere said, the Spirit of God testifies to me in every city saying, stay out of Jerusalem. He just said the Spirit of God was revealing him to him everywhere he went that this is what is going to follow, this is what is going to happen. There's a difference between prediction and prohibition. And what we see in Acts chapter 21 are the predictions. Here's what's going to happen. No prohibitions. That's the best way to understand verse 4. What was going on was the spirits were say, the Spirit of God, the believers were saying through the Spirit, here is what is going to happen, and they were begging Paul to stay out of Jerusalem. But it wasn't the Spirit's prohibition. Paul's not being a sinner. He's not being obstinate, and he's not disagreeing with the leading of the Spirit. He's not going against the counsel of many or the wisdom of many counselors. The Apostle Paul is convinced of this. The Spirit of God wants me in Jerusalem, and I'm going. But all along the way, the Spirit of God is saying, here's what's going to happen. You go to the next city. Paul, here's what's going to happen. You go to the next city, and here's Agabus tying up his hands and his feet, saying, here's what's going to happen, reminding him over and over and over. You see, listen, folks. Paul was listening to what the Spirit was saying through these prophets in the churches. And he was hearing one thing. The believers were listening to what the Spirit was saying through these prophets and they were hearing something else. They were hearing an excuse for Paul to stay out of Jerusalem. They were hearing prohibitions. Paul wasn't. Paul understood that he was destined to suffer. Wasn't it the Lord Jesus who said to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knows that's what's going to happen. Paul knows his destiny is to suffer. That is, that is God's predetermined plan for him. Christ laid that out. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. And so as the Spirit is saying through these prophets, you're going to suffer, Paul's saying, yeah, I knew that. It's exactly what I'm looking forward to. That's exactly what the Lord told me. Paul didn't see it as the Spirit changing his mind about his will. Paul saw it as the Spirit of God confirming his will. They said, you're going to suffer. And Paul said, he knew I was going to suffer. That's what the Spirit of God has set me apart for. 
Paul understood he's destined to suffer. They didn't understand that. The fault lies not with, not with Paul, but with the believers who were begging him to stay out of Jerusalem. Paul understood also that there's a purpose in suffering. The believers didn't understand that. How could there possibly be a purpose for Paul suffering like that? How could there possibly be a purpose from the Lord, of the Lord, for Paul to endure all of that? Paul understood it. Friends, when the Apostle Paul heard those warnings, you know what he heard? The Apostle Paul heard gracious preparation. Gracious preparation of the Spirit of God for what was about to happen. The Spirit of God was reminding him, and as Paul heard those, he would have been saying in his mind, God's in control of this. The Spirit of God knows what's going to happen. The Lord knows what's going to happen. This didn't deter Paul at all. It just steeled his spine. It made him even more bold, even more willing. As the Spirit of God was reminding Paul again and again of what is going to happen, he is preparing Paul to meet what it is that Paul is going to face in Jerusalem. The storm clouds are getting dark. So should we... Admire Paul for his reckless determination, his fearless determination? Or should we feel sorry for him because he was disobedient to the leading of the Spirit? Friends, I think we should admire Paul for his fearless determination. He knew what the Spirit of God wanted him to do. Now I ask you, would you have done this? Would you have done this? My temptation is to say that you and I would have said, you know, I can send Trophimus and Titus and Timothy on up to Jerusalem with the offering. Uh, maybe we could call the elders from Jerusalem down here to take it up themselves. There's really no need for me to go. I mean, there's opportunities to minister right here in Tyre, and Phoenicia really needs an apostle, and I'm here. I might as well minister for the Lord. That would have been a good excuse for you and I to bail out of suffering, to bail out of the trials, to bail out of the, the dark cloud that was hovering over our heads. It would have been a good excuse for you and I to get out of the will of God and say, well, maybe it's not the leading of the Spirit for me to go to Jerusalem after all. I mean, after all, it would be going against the, the counsel of many, of, of the wisdom of many counselors. There are all these believers telling me to stay. They want me to stay. I really want to stay. Maybe the Spirit of God has changed His mind. And friends, listen. If you remember nothing else about Paul, remember this. When Paul set his mind on something, have you seen this in Acts? When the Apostle Paul set his mind on something, it got done. The Apostle Paul was determined to fulfill his ministry and to finish his course and to testify to the gospel of the grace of God that Jesus had given to him. And there was nothing that could deter him. The Spirit of God is not trying to deter Paul. He is trying to prepare Paul for what he is about to face. There's nothing that could deter him. Because if the Apostle Paul believed that something was right, it did not matter if everyone else in the world believed it was wrong. He stood on it. And it did not matter if the Apostle Paul believed something was wrong if all the rest of the world thought it was right. He stood against it. That's Paul. And the storm cloud is getting darker because there is another warning that's on the horizon and this one sends fear through the entire camp of Paul's traveling companions. You see, the closer they get to Jerusalem, the more his traveling companions begin to fear and the more resolute Paul grows. And we'll look at that warning next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word. Some of these things are difficult for us to understand and put into perspective and context. And we just thank you for what we see in the example of your servant Paul, his resoluteness, his perseverance, his commitment to truth, and his commitment to fulfill that which you had 
commissioned him to do. We pray, Lord, that that in itself would be an encouragement to us and that you would use passages like this to steal our spines and to make us people who are committed to the truth and committed to fulfill our ministries. Thank you for Paul and what he accomplished, and thank you for this example. We pray that you would give us the grace to live out lives that model that kind of fearless determination and resoluteness. All trusting in your sovereign grace to make this possible, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.